Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. We've looked at a number of things on how we can know God's will over the last four or five, six weeks. Um, last week we looked at uh, well, what does God want? He wants us to take a step of faith. And he does. A uh, week before that we looked at Psalm uh, 37 and we saw that uh, we can know God's will. First we asked some questions. We asked, does God have a specific will for our lives? And we said, yes. Does God want us to know this will? We said, yes. Is this will hard to understand or know? And we said, sometimes, yes. Uh, we asked, should we have to search for it? And I said, yes. Our lives sometimes put us in a position where we have to find out what God wants. And it may not even be our lives, as we're going to see with Paul today. Do we have to wait on God's leading? Absolutely. Yes. And we looked at the verse, Psalm 37, 3 through 4, and it said, Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. And we saw four steps there that we can take to know God, God's will. We trust. We trust in the Lord, and we dwell in the land and live securely. We obey. We do what is good. We enjoy. We take delight in the Lord. And then we act. He will give us the desires of our heart. We remember that because we have trusted, we have obeyed, we have enjoyed God, that our, desire, our desires are going to be His desires. So therefore, we can act freely knowing that we are doing what God wants us to. Just because our will and our desires have meshed with His and they're identical. Now, I, I know we would all agree that we're not always in that position. But that is the goal. That's, how, that's what we strive for, and that's how we can know God's will. So, all right, I know God's will. I know what he wants us to do. I know what he wants me to do. I know where we're going. I know, I know everything about it. But what happens when I get in the middle of that and something changes? That's where Paul was. That's where Paul was this, uh, on his second missionary journey. And we see it in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. There we go. Chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in the province of Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So bypassing Mysia, they came down to Troas. During the night, a vision appeared to Paul. A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, Cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelize them. This passage should immediately lead us to, to, some, to ask some questions. Um, and if it doesn't, then let me help you. Uh, some questions to ask. What was Paul doing? Well, he was evangelizing. He was on a missionary journey. He was leaving where he had been. He was going back up through some places. He was uh, doing exactly what he knew he should do. Where was he going? Well, he was going to some previous places, places he had already been. 
And he was going to head up into some new places. He was going to visit old churches that he had established a few years back. And then he was going to go and he was going to start some more in another part of the country. Is there anything wrong with either of those things? Well, obviously the answer should be no. There's nothing wrong with those things. Paul was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. He was doing what God had called him to do. Paul was the missionary to the Gentiles, and that's what he was doing. Hey, I've been here. Let's go reinforce these churches. Now let's go to some new spots. Let's plant some new churches. But Paul, or rather God, needed to change Paul's direction. There we go. God needed to change his direction. God had to step in. And here we have a map, and I know it's probably difficult to see, at least the color differences anyway. This, uh, this red line here, this is Paul's first missionary journey, left from Macedonia, I'm sorry, from Antioch, and went on his first missionary journey, planted these churches in this area, Galatia and that kind of thing. Uh, here's Galatia. And went home. Second missionary journey is that green line that's probably much harder to see. This line here. That was his second missionary journey. He hit Corinth. Uh, he hit Ephesus, uh, all books that we recognize. Uh, Thessalonica, letter to the Philipp uh, Thessalonians. I'll get it out in a second. Philippi, letter to the Phil uh, Philippians. But look here. Look at this hard right turn he took. And that's what, I'm sorry, that's left, isn't it? That hard left turn he took. Microphone threw me off today. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about that hard left turn that Paul took. We'll come back to this map here in a couple of minutes. But let's look back at the scripture for a second. They went through these regions, verse 6 tells us, and the Holy Spirit, in verse 6, prevented him from speaking the message in the province of Asia. Now, for the Romans at this time, the province of Asia was uh, very likely this area down in here. This was their idea of Asia. Now, now we know that this is, what, this is today's Turkey, and we call this Asia Minor now, and then Asia, of course, would be all this up here. That's what we call Asia now. But for Rome, this was Asia. It's very likely when it says that the Holy Spirit prevented him from speaking the message in the province of Asia, he's talking about this area right here, Colossae, letter to the Colossians. Uh, we know all about, these are the seven churches here, Smyrna and Philadelphia, that are mentioned in Revelation. Uh, Ephesus, very important place. God, or the Holy Spirit, verse 6 tells us, prevented Paul from speaking in this area. Now we would go, why? Why did he stop him there? Eh, we don't know. It doesn't matter. The fact is that the Holy Spirit prevented him from doing it. So how did, how did he do that? How did the Spirit stop him? We don't know that either. The Bible doesn't tell us. Could have been political issues. You know, there are all kinds of things going on at this time politically. Uh, persecution of Christians uh, is beginning to pick up steam by both the Romans and the Jews. So it could have been politics. It could have been that he couldn't get there for whatever reason. Could have been battles or wars. Who knows? Could have been travel issues. 
uh, maybe it just wasn't a good time to go there, but God used the weather or something to stop him. Could have been health issues. We know Paul was not in the greatest of health, uh, especially toward the end of his life, but it, there's tradition that says even as a younger guy, he, he was hobbled, he was not, he, he kind of had a crooked back. We, we think he wasn't just, you know, the best looking guy but could have had some health issues. Financial issues. Maybe there was uh, a money problem that uh, prevented them from making the trip for some reason. Maybe it was a vision. Maybe God came to him and said, hey, go, or, or don't, actually, in this case, don't speak. It doesn't say, but what it does say is that Paul knew what he was supposed to be doing. And that should be enough for us. That should be enough for us to say, when we are in the midst of God's calling on our lives, that we need to be so in tune with God that regardless of how he chooses to tell us something, we hear it as a word from him. Circumstances, yes. His word, yes. Other Christians, the church, yes. That still small voice, yes. That dominant voice that sometimes we hear that is clear as a bell to us, Yes, we need to be confident. We need to be continually searching for God as we move forward in anything that he's called us to do. Because remember, Paul here is doing what he was supposed to do. He was evangelizing, and then he was going back and strengthening the churches he had already planted. Nothing wrong with those things, yet God had a different plan at the time. Remember the map, that area that he would not let Paul preach in at this point, Later on, when he came back from Greece and uh, that area, he came back and he hit those places and preached there and started great churches there. So it, it, it's often just about God's timing. And we need to be clear and, 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 and sensitive to that. So maybe we ask the question, why did he choose Troas? Well, ultimately the answer is we don't know. It doesn't say why he chose Troas. Possibly, it was so he could start in the north along the coast and work his way down. And I'll show you this map again. When he came over to Troas, Paul may have had in mind, okay, I'm not going over here. Then I'll come this direction, work my way down the coast, and go home. That may have been his, his thinking. And it makes good sense. Uh, Troas was a great port. It was, it was founded to be a port. They built an artificial harbor there, so it was a good place to set sail and work your way down the coast and hit all the major port cities where you're going to be hitting all kinds of people groups, all kinds of languages, all kinds of cultures that are going to take the gospel back across the world. So it's a, it's a great strategy. I mean, the, the International Mission Board would say this is a wonderful, a perfect strategy for him. So he goes to Troas, and he begins to work his way down. Uh, yeah, that's the mouse on our screen. Um, so he, as he works his, as he goes there, that's his thought process. But what we need to remember is that God knew why he went to Troas. Two things happened in Troas. The first thing is he picked up Luke. This is where in Acts we go from they did and they went and Paul taught and they taught to we went and we taught and we saw. It happens in verse 16, as a matter of fact. 
verse, uh, I'm sorry, not 16, verse 10 of chapter 16. After he had seen the vision, we immediately, and that's the first time we is used in Acts, we made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelism. Remember, Luke wrote Acts. So he went from talking about the first 16 chapters and, and 9 verses, or first 15 chapters and 9 verses, were all about them and they and third person, if you remember your, your, your third grade stuff. Then he changes immediately to the first person narrative, and he's talking about himself with the group. So he picked up Luke. The second thing is, not only was Troas a great place to to hit a boat and come down and, and go around that edge of what's now Turkey and hit all those port cities. It was also a great place to get to Macedonia, which God knew. It was a perfect jump-off point up there for in Troas to get on a boat and you just go across the Aegean Sea and you are in Macedonia. Macedonia is today's Greece or at least part of today's Greece. It's, uh, I think it's actually a little bit of, uh, not Turkey, um, ah, geography. Anyway, there's a country immediately to the east of Greece whose name I can't think of at the moment. Uh, all that, though, understand is Europe. Okay, he has just crossed from a major continent, a major area, to a major continent, a major area. This is the first time the gospel landed on European soil. This is setting the stage for ultimately the Reformation to happen in Germany because the gospel came to Europe. This is the first time the gospel made it to Europe. Now that doesn't, may not, just on face value, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but this is huge for them. Paul is now out of the Middle East. The gospel is no longer this Middle Eastern uh, Judaism, uh, Semitic, Palestinian thing. It, it's gone up into Turkey, into Asia Minor some, and oh, we're getting really cosmopolitan, but now we're in Europe. So this is a huge, huge deal, and God knew what he was doing. Now let's pick it up there. Let's look at the end of uh, that passage, verses 9 and 10. I'm just having technology troubles today. Here we go. Just make sure the, uh, the slides on the right are selected, and this should work fine. Um, 9 through 10, let's read it one more time. During the night, a vision appeared to Paul. Now, this is when they're in Troas. During the night, a vision appeared to Paul. A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he, after he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelize them. Now, underline that last part, concluding that God had called us to evangelize them, because for us today, that's really just a big old fat duh. I mean, isn't it obvious that God had called them now to go to Macedonia? <clears throat> no. And we can look at some reasons why it wouldn't be obvious. Um, one thing is that, that what he saw 
was a Macedonian, not an angel, not Jesus. Paul recognized him as a person. Now, maybe not a, a literal person, not somebody, maybe not somebody he met. I mean, there are all kinds of theories. Uh, there's one theory that said it was even Alexander the Great came. And eh, no, I don't think so. Uh, it was a Macedonian, somebody representing a group of people. So it was a Macedonian, it wasn't a dream. It could have been, you know, Paul could have thought it could have been a coincidence. You know, he's in a town, he's in, maybe he talked to some people earlier that, that looked like this guy. The point is that Paul had to conclude. Paul had to think about, because it's, remember that the last part of that verse says, <coughs> excuse me, concluding that God had called us to evangelize him. They had to go through a process to understand this is where God wanted them to go. We look back at it and maybe we say, well, duh, isn't it obvious? But it's not. Here Paul has this idea. Here Paul knows that, that he's moving forward. Paul knows I've got to take the gospel to the world. And, and honestly, he probably doesn't really care where. The, the where was not his concern. He just knew he wanted to go. So he started going. And he was, he was strategic. Don't get me wrong. He, he wanted to go to the large cities. He wanted to go where he knew, if I can get a few, then I can change the world. And as a matter of fact, let me explain something about, you've heard me say in the past, that we consider a group of people um, unreached if there's less than 2% of the population that's Christian, that's evangelical, born-again Christian. We consider a group unengaged if there is, as far as we can tell, no one there who is uh, evangelical, born-again Christian, and there's no effort to reach them. Okay, those are our two definitions. Unreached, less than 2%, unengaged, zero, and no effort to reach them. That's the falla of Spain. There, as far as we know, there are no Christians, no evangelical born-again Christians, and there's no effort at this moment to reach them with the gospel. Go back to that 2% for a second over here, that unreached people group. Less than 2%. 2% is considered enough that a movement could start. That sociologists tell us, and I, I, I learned this yesterday, so there are a few people in here going, oh, he just learned that yesterday. Well, I did. Um, you're right. But that less than 2% means there's not enough, and the phrase we use is critical mass. There's not enough people that a movement could start. They figure if two out of every 100 people in an area are Christian, then you can start something with that. So you're talking about 2 out of 100, or 20 out of 1,000, or 200 out of 10,000. And I'm going to quickly get out of my math ability here. Uh, but if you're talking about a million people, and you're talking about 2%, aren't you talking about 200,000 people? Math people? Isn't 2% of a million 200,000? Okay, good. I'm doing better than I thought then. Um, so if you're talking about a church of 200,000 people, that sounds like a movement to me, y'all. Or at least it could be. So that's why we talk about two, that, that, that 2%. That's what 
uh, that's what Paul is looking at. If I can go to a city, now he wasn't thinking International Mission Board 2%, but he was thinking if I can go to Corinth, at this point he wasn't thinking Corinth, if I can go to Ephesus or Troas, these port cities, these places where people converge and then go home, I can make a difference in the world just by reaching this one spot. That's why we have college ministries. That's why Baptist Student Unions on every campus do international dinners. Because if they can reach this guy, and we heard some great stories yesterday, this guy from Turkey, if they can reach him, he's going to go home someday, and he's going to take the gospel back home. We just penetrated the lostness of Turkey by penetrating the lostness on Texas A&M campus, or, or UT campus, or wherever we're, we're doing something. Paul understood that. Great strategy, great plan. And then God steps in. I've been uh, talked about with the deacons this morning and some yesterday too uh, on the trip to the Embrace Lab. I've been talking about embracing an unengaged people group now for, well, since I've been here. I uh, went to my first meeting on it uh, back in October been praying about it. To give you a little insight into what I did uh, as, as to how I went about it, I asked you all to pray, and I hope you did. Uh, I asked you to pray that we would be led. Pray that God would show us what group to go to. International Mission Board on their website has a map of the world with 3,800-ish orange dots on them, on it. And each dot represents a people group and where they live. And I would spend weeks or, or, or you know, hours every day here, a few days there, just clicking on dots. God, where are, you, where are you leading us? Where are you sending us? Where are we going? Click, click, click. Read, read, read. Until, what, a month and a half or so ago, I felt like God had, had narrowed it down to those five groups that we had up there on the screen for so many weeks. The Fala of Spain, Wallace, the Walesians of Wallace and Futuna, the Amara of Argentina, the Ainu of Japan, and the British of the British Virgin Islands. I felt like those were the five that God had led me to through our prayers. And then I chose, I felt like God was leading us to the Walesians of Wallace and Futuna. It's an island in the South Pacific. Looked at them, uh, prayed about it some more, looked at, got some information on them, went through the, the whole thing. Uh, they are primarily, they are totally a Catholic belief system, which I, immediately for me, as I've talked about before, we understand what it is to be, to, to believe that your religion saves you and that Jesus, that Jesus is just a part of the religion but it's the religion that does it for you. We understand that. We have people that understand that better than I could ever understand it and could explain it. So, okay, this is good. Honestly, I looked at just messing around. What would it cost to get there? Because ultimately, we've got to get there. And it was between $2,500 and $3,000 just to fly, just to get to the island. And that doesn't talk about anything else that it goes on once you're there. I did not, and I, I pray that we do not, want it to be about the money. 
If God has called us to it, I don't care what it costs, he'll provide. I firmly believe that, and that's what we're going on forward. We're going forward with that understanding. Honestly, if, if we want to talk about money right now, we need to scrap the whole thing and forget it because we don't have it. That's where we stand. So it's not about money. But I do want to be good uh, stewards of what God is going to provide for us to do this. So I just didn't, I didn't feel comfortable with that. So it's back up, and where is it, God? And over time, over a couple more weeks, the Fala of Spain came out, came forward for me. This group, as I said, they are um, Spanish, I thought, at least, you know, I thought that would help. Getting there is a much simpler prospect. Um, we talked about yesterday at the lab, or they talked about, there are all kind of hindrances to, to getting to a population. Um, why is it unengaged? Well, it could be location. Wallace, the Walesians' location makes it very difficult to engage them with the gospel. This group in Spain, you fly to Madrid, you drive four hours, you're there. I mean, it's not that hard to get to. These 6,000 or so people live in three towns in this, in this area. It's not a difficult process to get to them. What's the difficulty? For them, for us, it's going to be the social aspect. It's going to be going into a country. I mean, have, you remember the Spanish Inquisition? Catholics killing Protestants? You know, we talk about the Spanish Inquisition because that's where Catholicism had its darkest heart at one time. And now we're going to go into towns that, that all they know is Catholicism and tell them, we want to tell you about Jesus. Think about your experiences with someone that, that, think that thinks they have the answer. I'm, I'm Catholic. I don't need to hear about Jesus. I, I, I've personally never heard that, but I've heard it from others that have said they'd go to talk to somebody, I'm Catholic. I don't need to hear about Jesus. Yeah, you do. So, so we know that, that idea about them. We understand that. Uh, the language, I, I, you know, I was thinking, oh gosh, we've got to learn a language. We've got to learn follow, because that's what they speak. That's what they prefer to speak. That's their heart language. But you know what? Uh, from what I've read, I read about a guy who speaks Spanish, who went and talked to the people. They spoke Fala, and he understood almost everything he said. As I asked you last week, do we have some Spanish speakers in the room? Yeah, we do. All that to say... I feel good about us, about leading us as a church to embrace the, the follow of Spain. Let's see if I can get back to a spot. Because I want you to see it in writing. Probably not going to, because it's not going to cooperate. God might need to change our direction. God might say, yeah, you're right. Because let's, let's, let's ask the questions we asked of Paul. What was Paul doing? We said evangelizing. Are we called to evangelize? Yes. Okay. Where are we talking about going? Do they need the gospel in these three towns 
where they speak Fala and they trust their religion to save them and not Jesus. Do they need the gospel? Yes. Anything wrong with either of those? Those questions I asked right at the beginning. No. But might God need to change our direction someday? He might. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray. I'm going to be asking uh, a group of you, four or five, and I'm going to ask for volunteers. And not, not raise your hand right now. But I'm going to ask four or five of you to join me in praying once a week together for this group. And not just for this group, but for God to make it crystal clear that we're, where we're supposed to go. That this is the place we're supposed to go. This won't be a, a prayer meeting of um, sickness, of that kind of thing. This will be specific toward praying for the follow of Spain and that God will direct our steps. If we heard it once, we heard it a thousand times yesterday. If we do not bathe this thing in prayer, it will not work. We will fail. But if we pray, then we'll know that God is in it. No, that didn't work. If we pray, we'll know where God wants us to be in it. Let me put it that way. We have got to pray this thing until we're hoarse. Until we're thinking, there is no way God is not tired of hearing me pray about this. That's a sermon I'll preach in a few weeks. And the people who were here yesterday will go, wait a minute, he heard that yesterday. Yeah, I did. This is not going to work, y'all, if it's just me. And that's what I don't want it to be. It's not going to work if, if we are saying, well, Michael wanted to do this, and it sounds like a good idea, so yeah, go, Michael. If that's the attitude, it will not work. We've got to be behind it. I'm not asking all of you to fly to Spain. Oh, that'd be awesome. I mean, let's be honest. I'm not asking all of you to... I don't need to go through all that. What I am asking you is to pray about and do the part God calls you to do. We're going to have hundreds of small working parts to make this work. Let me give you my vision right now for what I think God might be wanting us to do in these towns. Again, got to be willing to change. This may change completely. Let me tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking in three or four years, we're to the point where we pay, we have a, however many staff members we have here in Nixon, we have a one more staff member who is a pastor in one of those three towns, the largest of the three towns. And he's a church planner. And he's there, he is our missionary from Nixon, Texas to the Fala of Spain. He lives in the largest town, he evangelizes, he witnesses, he becomes part of the community, he starts a church. That church, with our help and support, moves to the next town, or doesn't move, but starts a church in the next town. Raises up leaders, 
among that group to go be a pastor at that next town and start a church. The third town, same thing. One of those churches starts a church in that third town until we have hit all three of those towns where that, that those people live. We are not done there after we take a couple of trips and hand out a few tracts. We're not done there when we feed a few poor people and say, boy, don't we feel good about ourselves. We took the gospel to the follow. We're done there when there are churches who are reproducing themselves, when there are churches that are witnessing to their communities, when there are churches, not with the building and, the, and all the, the trappings necessarily, but when there are churches just like we have in Nixon, a Baptist church taking the gospel to the people in the area. That's when we're done. When is that going to be done? I don't know. I have no clue. That's my vision. Y'all, is this a huge vision? Yes, yes. Let me, please hear me say this is going to be long, drawn out, expensive, and hard. We understand that. I understand that. We're called to it, people. We're called to the long and the drawn out and the expensive and the hard. And God says, don't worry about that. Let me worry about that. You be obedient. They, the, the representative yesterday from the International Mission Board at the end said, how do we define success at the IMB? What is a successful missionary? Two ways you're successful as a missionary with the International Mission Board. You see 100 people saved during the year and 100 baptisms, and you increase the offering by 75% every year after that. No. I hope you know I'm lying. Success, I just want to see if you're listening. Success is defined by obedience and faithfulness. I said a few weeks ago, we may go to the, one of these groups, we may never see a soul come to Christ. Have we been a failure? Not if we've been obedient. We need to do what God calls us to do. And when God says, okay, now change direction, we change direction. Lessons from Paul today. A couple of weeks ago we learned, delight in the Lord. Spend time with God. Know Know God, and you'll know what God wants. Do what you should. Do what you know is right. Paul knew it. Paul understood it. He went forward. He went out to the churches. He went to the areas. He said, this is my mission. I'm going. But the third lesson was, be aware of circumstances and be aware of Holy Spirit promptings. Just because circumstances get tough doesn't mean God called you out of it. Just because this step is hard doesn't mean you're supposed to stop and change direction. Because it's circumstances and God. Follow the leadings. Sometimes those things are there to grow you. Sometimes those things are there to warn you. Sometimes those things are there to change your direction. But nevertheless, we need to follow the leadings that God gives. Pray for confirmation.
Next thing, consider and include, conclude rather, consider and conclude when things happen a certain way. When something occurs <clears throat> and it seems like it's this way, make sure what it is. Just like Paul with the Macedonian. It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't an angel. He had to conclude. He had to make sure. He had to study and pray the situation up and say, God, is this where you want us to be? Is this where you want to go? And then they concluded that it was. And then lastly, be ready to change or not. But be ready. We have got an incredible calling on this church. I've, I've said it before, I'm going to say it a thousand times again. I believe God has called us to do incredible things. God is wanting, God wants to use us. The question we've got to ask is, do we want to be used? And I think the answer is yes. But then we start asking, but how much is it going to cost? How much is it going to cost me? And I don't mean just money. I mean, what is the, the cost? My life? Maybe. It's going to hurt? Yeah. It's going to cost money? Yeah. My reputation? Very possibly. What are you willing to pay for your soul? Let me put the question to you that way first. You don't have to buy your soul. It's been bought. You know salvation. What would you hope someone would have spent to save your soul? Maybe that's a better way to put it. What is the value you would put on your own soul? And then I ask the question, why isn't their soul worth just as much? Our calling may change. But let's be sure that we are in the midst of where God wants us so we can know that change if and when it comes. Folks, pray with me. And, and, and I, I, that is what I, this whole today is about. This whole sermon for me is about you, us, being on the same page with God. So that if he calls us to change or if he doesn't, we know. So that we're not running any race in vain, but we know exactly where we're going and exactly what we have to do. But we've all got a new direction to take. We all have that first direction. You know, the word repentance means to turn around, 100 degree. It's a, it's a military term. It's an about face. So God may call us to change direction in our leading at some point, but every one of, his, one of us he calls to change direction right now. Have you changed that direction? Have you turned your life over to God? Have you trusted Jesus Christ for your Savior? Have you admitted that you're a sinner? Have you believed in what Jesus did on the cross? Have you confessed that you trust Jesus? And then we turn to something. It's not just 
not just we change and that's it, but we're turning to Christ. We're giving our heart. Maybe your decision this morning is to join the church. Maybe it's to be baptized, y'all. But maybe God is working on you to be one of the five or six that joins us in prayer for the follow. Maybe right now God is telling you, you're going to play a major role in what First Nixon does over the next 5, 10, 15 years. And you're going, God, I can't do that. And God's saying, you are so right. You can't. But he's telling you that he can. What's your decision today? What are you going to do with what you've heard? That's what it boils down to every time.